Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. This will be our final lesson on this series called Why Serve God. We'll give you just a little bit of a review so you can, if you weren't here, you can get updated. But our main text is Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, which I believe is a familiar text to all people. Probably most Christians should know it. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number one, we're offering some reasons as to why we should all serve the Lord. Number one, because of what Jesus has done for us. Remember Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48, because you serve not the Lord your God for the abundance of all things. He's done a lot of things for us. Amen. Well, that's number one, because of what he's done for us. But number two, we said that because of the consequences of not serving him, he goes on to say that if you don't serve the Lord, you'll serve your enemy. And he said, you'll be in hunger, thirst, nakedness, and in want of all things. He'll put a yoke of iron around your neck until you're destroyed. Who wants that? No one should want that. None of us. Number three, we said it's important to serve the Lord because it is the right choice to make. We went to Malachi chapter three. We talked about two groups, group A and group B. Group A said that uh, it's useless to serve the Lord. But group B said, no, it pays off to serve the Lord. And so we want to be in the right group, group B, and serve the Lord because we know we'll benefit from that now and also in eternity. And then next we said, because it's the will of God. It is the will of God that we serve him. Remember when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt? What did he say? Let my people go that they might serve themselves. You awake? (laughs) That they might serve me. Not themselves, but serve me. Not the devil, not the flesh, but serve me. Serve him. Okay, number five. It demonstrates the love of God. Remember what Jesus talked to Peter and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Uh, Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. What's he saying? If you love me, then serve me. Do something that I've called you to do. If you love me, then serve me. Do what I would have you to do. He said, what about John? He said, forget about John. I'll take care of John. You think about yourself, not John. Number six, God takes serving him seriously. We want to hear those wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful, what? Servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, right? But what did he say to the unfaithful servant? We probably don't want to go there, do we? It wasn't good. Let's leave it at that. Then number seven, our lives touch two realms, the here and the now and the sweet by and by. On this earth, we know this is the visible life that we live. We have an invisible, when we leave this realm, that we enter into that place of invisibility. What does that mean? It means what I do here depends, determines what I get there. So if we want to have treasures in heaven, we've got to serve him on this side of heaven so we can have on that side of heaven all the things that uh, we long for and desire to have in life and throughout eternity. And then number eight, it's the way that we deal with our 
soul or mind or rather in our body. He saved us in spirit. Our spirit's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through the new birth. We're born again. But the body and the mind need to be dealt with. And what are we told in Scripture? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we are told that doing something with your body, like dedicating it to the Lord, and something with your soul or your mind, which means to renew it to the Word of God, is your reasonable what? Service. That's another way we serve the Lord. Doing something with our flesh and doing something with our soul, our mind, will, emotions, and intellect. And then number eight, we said that it's following the example that Jesus set for us to follow. Remember, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. Well, what did he do? How can I follow him? Well, how about this? He who was in the form of God took on human flesh and the form of a servant. Think about that. Not a king. Mm -mm. Not an emperor. He took on the form of a servant and came in the likeness of human flesh and was obedient even to the death of the cross. So he was a servant, and he says, we too are to be servants of the Most High God, following his example. And then next, we are told that it absolutely promotes anyone. It leads to success and promotion from the Lord. Because Jesus did this as a servant, he was highly exalted to the highest position in the universe, and given the name above every other name, so that the mention of his name, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. So you can see that there's promotion when it comes to serving the Lord. Remember he said that if you will be faithful in small things, then I'll give you bigger things. It's called promotion on the other side in glory. The next one I'm very, very excited about because it's so important to all of us. And sometimes we can lose sight of this. But as we continue our study, look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. How many times have you heard that in your Christian life? I appreciate your enthusiasm this morning. You're really excited. How many times have you heard that? For by grace are you saved through faith. That should cause us to well up on the inside and shout to the Lord God Almighty, I've been saved by faith, by grace through faith. Man, thanks be unto God, right? Okay. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And what do we see from these verses of Scripture? We've been saved, saved to serve. Saved to serve. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. That's why we've been saved. They came out of Egypt to serve him. And he said, when you get into the promised land, serve me. Not the false gods, not the images, not the idols and all that. Serve me. So we've been saved to serve. Say it with me, I'm saved, I'm saved. To, serve. to serve. Okay, the book of Ephesians can be, they say, divided up into three parts. The first part being the wealth of the believer. The second part being the walk of the believer. And the third part being the warfare of the believer. The wealth of the believer, when we think of wealth, sometimes people think about material wealth. But no, we're talking about the wealth the riches that we have in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We have an inheritance among the saints in light. We've got authority over all the power of the enemy, it talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 1. And he talks about the fact that the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus is the earnest of our inheritance. We receive the Holy Ghost and fire and power. That's part of it. You talk about wealth. The other day, Andrew said to me, do you think God will give us superpowers? I said, you mean like Superman and Wonder Woman and all that? He goes, yeah, something. I said, you got something better than that. I do? Yeah, you do. 
You've got the power that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelling on the inside of you, and it doesn't get better than that. We need to renew our minds to the fact that we have on the inside of us the greater one who's living in us. You talk about the wealth of the believer. Then he goes on and talks about the walk of the believer. Ephesians 4, 1 says, walk worthy of the vocation whereunto you've been called. Chapter 5 and verse 2 says what? Walk in love. Imitate God and walk in love. So he's talking about the walk of the believer. Walk in the light, not in the darkness, but in the light. So we're talking about the walk of the believer is in love in light and walking worthy of our calling. But then in the sixth chapter, what does he talk about? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because you don't battle flesh and blood. What's your battle against? The forces of evil, right? So it's the warfare of the believer. And so that's kind of an overview of the whole book of, of uh, Ephesians, teaching us how to live, the wealth that we have, the walk that we have, and then the warfare that we're in, and sh basically shares with us how to overcome. But what I want to pull out from here is this. We've been saved from something to something. We've been saved from sin, saved to serve. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. We've been saved from sin and its consequences and saved to serve. They go together. In other words, we weren't just saved so that we can just say, I'm saved and that's it and do nothing to serve God. We've been saved to serve. So Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, first three verses. And you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation or lifestyle in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Oh my, what a spectacle we were. That is our position before we came to Christ. That's our walk before we came to Christ. Matter of fact, we served either the devil, the world, or the flesh, or a combination of all three before we came to Christ. And that's exactly how we lived our lives. Whether you were a good person or whether you were a bad person, it doesn't really matter because everybody is lost in sin and faces the consequences of sin as a result. And if you read those together and pull out what it really Paint the picture that it paints. It's saying this. We were dead. Dead. In trespasses and sin. We were deceived in the way we think. We were disobedient because we obeyed the nature that was in us. We were defiled, unholy people. No matter how good we were, we were unholy. And then ready? We were doomed. We were doomed for a march that resulted or ended in Nothing good. Nothing good at all. The end of the road was not a good scenario for anyone unless they come to Christ. Well, just to give an example, we had no way of escape our end. In uh, 1942, April 9th through the 17th, there was what is called the Bataan Death March. Anybody hear of it? Some of you have. And this is when somewhere between 60 and 80,000 prisoners of war were by the Imperial Japanese Army forced to take this walk, this trek, somewhere around 60 to 65 miles to a destination which was a prisoner of war camp. Along the way, anywhere from seven to 10,000 prisoners of war lost their lives. When they set out, this is right after Pearl Harbor, when it was bombed, they had no help whatsoever at all. 
They were left on their own, and the imperial army was just massive in ways, just, just outnumbered them so, so largely that they conceded. There's nothing they can do. But during this 65-mile march or trek, they were already hungry. They were already thirsty. Many died of starvation. Many died of dehydration. And those that were slower than others figured they were just weight, dead weight. So what they did was they used their bayonets and they stabbed them to death or they decapitated them along the way. So if you didn't die from these other things, starvation, dehydration, exhaustion, and all that, because remember, this is very hot. It's a very hot climate where they were at. That's what happened. That was their end. That was their march. That was the result. When they got there, they were in prison camps, and they were, oh, my goodness, the atrocities. The way they were treated is beyond anything you can imagine. I just picked up a couple of videos of some of the survivors, and when they shared what they went through, it's unthinkable that a human being would treat, be treated like this. But they were terribly treated. Why am I bringing this out? Because every single one of us, before you came to Christ, was on a death march. It wasn't to a natural prison camp, but it was an eternal prison camp. Every one of us. We were on the death march to destruction, doom and gloom. We would spend an eternity in a lake of fire with no way of escape, no way to get out whatsoever. Can you imagine as I listened to some of these, like I said, the individuals that were, uh, they survived it. The stories they were telling were just absolutely unthinkable. When they moved them from one place to another by ship, they had them in holes. So packed together like sardines, they couldn't even move. And people were dying right there with them and they just tossed them overboard just like that. Horrible situation, inhumane treatment of these people until the war ended. Douglas MacArthur is the one that said he was going to go back and liberate, and he, he kept his promise. But anyhow, you and I were on the road to the lake of fire. The moment you're born into this world, you're on that path, that march to the lake of fire, unless there's a, a way to get rescued. Well, look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Everybody say with me, but God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we're not among the Filipino and the American soldiers, prisoners of war, but we're living human beings upon the planet. And we're on our way to eternal destruction and damnation. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Beloved, no matter how good a person is, or how bad a person is, how many of you know that good people and bad people don't go to heaven? Only saved people go to heaven. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how bad you are, only saved people go to heaven. So everyone is on that march from the time of their birth, and they will end up in a lake of fire unless God does something to intervene, and he does something that they cannot do for themselves. And aren't you glad it says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, didn't let us stay on that march. 
but he made a way for us to escape. He made a way for us to get off the course and get on the right path for our lives. Heaven is a place for saved people, and Jesus made that possible. So when I say saved to serve, let's never forget what we've been saved from. Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. If you recall how we had the video here of 23 Minutes in Hell, where the Brother Bill shared his experience in hell when he saw all the horrors of hell, when he saw people on a cross, and they were on that cross because they didn't accept the one who died on the cross for them, how they were tormented, how worms, the Bible says that the worms never die. They eat the flesh of the individual who's there, but then they never die. These maggots continue on living. The flesh comes back to them, and they eat them again. And back again, over and over and over again, where the fire's never quenched, they're burned up by fire, but then they come back and they're burned up by fire again. Hard to imagine the creatures that he saw, the things that took place. How he said skulls were crushed by these demonic forces and evil forces. Then they would pop back like, like someone blew them up again, only to be crushed again. The torture that he described is beyond our imagination. But God sent Jesus to rescue us. Aren't you glad? You see, when you say, why you serve? <laughs> because it wasn't the Egyptians that's holding us down. It was the lake of fire that was waiting our arrival. And aren't you glad you got off the path? Now, do you appreciate that? Are you thankful for that? Say, I've been saved. From the lake of fire to serve the living God. Number two, look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 again. This is now from the New Living Translation of the Bible. For we are God's masterpiece. Say that with me. I'm God's masterpiece. Hallelujah. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good, so we can do, so we can do, so we can serve, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Why have we been saved? To serve, to serve. We should be so ecstatic about being saved from such an end that, oh, it's an honor for me to serve you with my life, Lord. Now, God's masterpiece means you're a valuable piece of work. And some people are just a piece of work. <laughs> but you and I, we're valuable piece of work. Say it with me, I'm valuable. <laughs> Amen. But what makes you valuable is the question. How many of you know an individual by the name of Michelangelo who is responsible for the sculpting of the Davide, or the statue of David, right? Would you like to know his full name? You want to know why he's called Michelangelo? His full name is Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonanori Simoni. Say that ten times. You'll never do it. But why is the statue of David so valuable and so precious when all the other artists and sculptors of, the, of his time had this piece of marble that they couldn't do anything with. He saw it. He looked into it. They said, it's not a good piece. It's nothing but rubbish and all that. Discarded back basically in a, an area where rubbish was. He saw that thing. Eyed it up. 
And someone said, how did you do that? He said, I just took everything away that wasn't David from that piece of marble. And think about that statue right now. Number one sculptor ever to live. The sculpting of Davide, David, is just beyond anything. The value is just beyond anything. So who makes that sculptor or the sculpting? Who makes David so valuable? The artist. What's his name? Michelangelo. Just leave it right there. And then, of course, we've got, um, let's say, Da Vinci. You know the name Leonardo Da Vinci, right? What did he paint? The Last Supper? The Mona Lisa? Yeah. What makes it valuable? If you were to read that and just say someone else signed that, it wouldn't mean too much. But if you put his name on that, guess what? The value goes way up. Da Vinci. Then Rembrandt. And what's he noted for? Remember the storm? Uh, the return of the prodigal son, the storm on the Sea of Galilee? Once again, if you look at the painting and you see the name there, Rembrandt, the value goes up, way up because of it. Picasso, and this is called Guernica. Once again, because his name is on it, the value is way up, skyrockets. Put someone else's name on it, not a whole lot. Who sculpted you? Anybody know? Jesus did. Who's your sculptor? God saw us in Christ. And when he came into our lives and gave us a new birth, he took everything away from us that was ungodly, that was evil, and he breathed into us by the power of his Holy Spirit, the life of Christ. And if you're Christ, you're his. If, you, if Christ isn't in you, you're none of his. What makes you valuable is not you. But what makes you valuable is your sculptor, your designer, your creator, the one that gave life to you, the one that gave birth to you. He's the one that makes you so valuable. And so when the Father sees you, he sees something so precious, so valuable, because he sees in you Christ himself, his son. So think about it. He's our master designer. We're his masterpiece, and we're valuable. Remember the songs we used to sing, songs of old, um, something beautiful, something good? All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Has he made something beautiful of your life? He sure has, hasn't he? He sure has. See, he's your sculptor. So when someone says, I'm not perfect, maybe not on the outside, but you're perfect on the inside. Perfect. Recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works. And why did he save us? So that we can serve him with this new life he's given us. And how many know this, the song that we sing, Amazing Grace, is one of the most popular Christian songs that ever, ever was penned, right? We know that. And here at our assembly, we like to say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a one like me. Because once you're saved, you're no longer a wretch. Right? I mean, we believe we're no longer a wretch. But let's go back to the history of it and find out why the word wretch was in there in the first place. Because John Newton, when he was a young boy, his father was a ship 
captain, and his mother was a Christian. The problem is, even though she taught him to go to church and also read his Bible, she died at age seven when he was seven. Father remarried. Stepmother didn't believe in God, didn't know God. Father didn't follow God at all. Was a rough, tough ship captain and all that. And so basically he was left to his, basically himself. He got to a place where he got so involved in all kinds of evil things that he actually mocked God later in life. Didn't walk with God, didn't choose to fellowship with God, didn't serve God, didn't study his Bible, didn't go to church anymore. Also was involved in the shipping industry and that sort of thing. And so one day he's out there on the sea. And while he's out there on the sea, the boat, the ship that he's on begins to fall apart from the storm. He knows one just died. His life is hanging in the balance. He got before God during that storm and said, I remember the God that my mother told me about. I remember. He gave his heart to Jesus, said, Lord, save me from this death. And the Lord saved him from his death. He left the industry, went into the ministry, served the Lord that way, and penned the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was despicable. I mocked God. I didn't serve God. But yet, when I called upon him, he saved me. A wretch like me. So vile. So horrible. Mistreatment of other people. All the things I was involved in. But yet when I called on you, you saved me. Thank you. And that's where it came from. We like to say maybe a one like me. Or maybe we should leave it and start saying we were all wretches no matter how good you were. No matter how bad you were. We were all wretches before we came to Christ. Were we not? I like to save the one like me. He saved the one like you. Why? To serve him. Let's get closing with this. Main ways to serve the Lord. Because you see, sometimes I think if we just emphasize, well, you can work in the sound booth, you can work here, you can do that. That's not where serving the Lord begins. It begins right here. Number one, glorifying God with our life. What does Matthew 5 and verse 16 say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works or service and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, when you see me, you see some good works. When you see me, you see someone who is serving God the best he possibly can and growing in his walk with God, which is the next point. Look at the next point, growing in godly character. Remember the book of Philippians chapter 2, the latter part of verse 12 and 13? Here's what it says. Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? It's God who's working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, he saved us to do a work in us so that he could do a work through us. Can you see that? And, you know, there was a time when people really believed that way when they first got saved. <clears throat> Anymore, it seems to be different in the society that we're living in today. 
When I first got saved, you couldn't keep me out of church. When I first got saved, you couldn't keep me from doing something to serve the Lord, teaching a Bible study, and even though I didn't know anything, I was wet behind the ears, and I still didn't know anything, but I was still giving up myself to study the Bible, study materials, teach him every week in my father's uh, house in the basement, uh, a Bible study that we had, going to church, playing the guitar, which I didn't think you could play a guitar. I thought I was sacrilegious when I first got saved because I never heard of such a thing. Went to work. I went to church with my clothes on during midweek, work clothes, and then, no, I'm sorry, but dress clothes, but then I changed my clothes, sometimes in a car, in a parking lot, so I could make it to work on time, okay? Why? I was so thankful to be saved that I would serve him no matter what. Number three. Gathering with other believers as we are today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's, it's something that we can pull that out. But if you really put it in context, what's he saying? He's saying your sins are forgiven now. He's saying there's a new and living way, not like the old way where you could not come to the throne of God. But now you can because the way has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can enter in boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. So come boldly with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, body washed with pure water of the word and come in. In other words, visit with God. Visit, like we're doing right now. Visit with God. We're together. Join together. We're visiting with God. <clears throat> Prayerfully, we're doing what? Being challenged, growing, developing, right? Next verse, what does he say? And don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. We went to the throne, and now <clears throat> we gather together with each other. As you see the day approaching, even the more, gather together with other people of like precious faith. So we're serving the Lord by, number one, <clears throat> glorifying him with our lifestyle. Number two, by growing in godly character. Number three, gathering with other. And then the next one, giving to the work of God. This is also part of our service. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Every man according as his, his purpose is in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what? <clears throat> A cheerful giver. There's not enough time for me to get into all the details of the things that I went through when I first get, got saved, but you know what? I, you've heard me say this before. I sold a brand new house I moved into to, to pay my tithes. I wasn't waiting until I could afford to pay my tithes. I sold the house. And when that, I think, I think she was a Baptist, real estate agent, came over to my house and said, why are you selling your house? It's a brand new house. There's something wrong with it. I said, no, nothing wrong. I got saved. I, I told her I was just young in the Lord. I had zeal, but maybe not knowledge, but I was just zealous. <clears throat> she said, why do you want to sell the house then? You got saved. I said, because I can't pay my tithes if, if um, I don't. She looked at me and she said, I've never heard anybody say that in all the years I've been in real estate. I said, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to pay my tithes. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve him, not a house. So I sold the house to pay my tithes. <clears throat> and the Lord found a bigger house, nicer house to live in on top of that. Isn't that something? Only God can do that, right? But he honored that. And finally, going. So you got glorifying, growing, gathering, giving, and now going into all the world. Look at Matthew 18, or 28, rather, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world or end of the age. Amen. So these are the 
primary ways that we serve God in all of our lives every day. It should be anyhow. And why are we so motivated? Because we know the end of the death march ends in the lake of fire. We don't want anything to do with that. I would rather serve the living God. And the end of that march is eternal glory. Are you glad for that? Amen. Conclusion, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 20 and 21. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye, talking about the human body, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul's describing um, spiritual gifts and operation, them operating in the church and the body of Christ coming together as a living organism of love as he compares it to the human body. That's the analogy that he's using. So the human body is constructed in such a way by God that we need all body parts. Anybody ready to get rid of one? I don't think so, right? Who wants to give up an eye or an ear or whatever? No. But the eye can't say because I'm not the ear, I don't need you. And the ear can't say that I don't need you. But the one I really want to point out, the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Cannot say even to the foot, I don't need you. So in other words, there are no unneeded, no unneeded individuals in the body of Christ. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a part. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has an anointing. Everyone has something that they can do to serve God. Now, look, it's not just in the church. I understand that you could be a doctor and you can serve the Lord that way, helping and blessing other people because of your field. I understand that you could be a lawyer and you can help out as a Christian lawyer. And so we need people in the body of Christ everywhere throughout the government. We need people that are in politics that really know the Lord and serve the Lord and walk with God. We know that, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. But also within the church, we make it possible for people to serve God in a way that will advance the kingdom of God upon the earth in our locality where he has stationed us, where he has placed us. And so when everybody within the body takes their place and does their part, can you imagine this living organism of love that works together to glorify God, to magnify God on the earth, the impact we can make on the society that we're living in? It's a powerful thing if we'll all do our part and take our, take our place and do our part. So there's no unused members in the body of Christ. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone is needed. Everyone can do something just like the body works. And sometimes, remember Moses had all those excuses that were talked about last week? Moses had all kinds of excuses as to why God shouldn't use him. I can't talk. I couldn't talk either. Um, I'm slow of speech. I never had that problem. <laughs> Not when I got anointed to preach, which never was a I had to slow down. At least I've been told, anyhow. But then I listened to some of the 80s messages, and I thought, oh, my goodness, arrest me. I had to play it back on slower, you know. Some of you out there, you don't remember these records that you can slow them down. You remember you used to, we used to play our disc records, and you can, if you slowed it down, it was like, like remember those? Mm-hmm. I had to do that just to hear myself, just listen to myself. So if you say you have an excuse, ask Moses, there's no excuse, or ask Erne, and he'll tell you there's no excuse. Everyone can do something to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth, right? Everyone. We all can. 